uh, continuing on Genesis 14:15, uh, we're going to wrap up. Uh, you know, to give a quick summary, uh, we started off with the origin story. Why? Why is so important, right? Why is so? I mean, you could believe in God, and you can believe in the history and accuracy of the scriptures, and you have this trust and. And you know, I've I've gone through not not blind faith, like you know, I mentioned some people need a lot of proofs, some people need a lot of due diligence, you know, like like rationally, intellectually, some people, you know, a zero to ten, they need to get all the way to about a nine point nine, and then they can take that point one percent step of faith, right? Others just need, they just know, you know, the spirit of God. They, they, it's just it's just so obvious spiritually, supernaturally. Some people just need this much facts. And the rest, they're willing to make that step of faith. Everyone's different. Um, but regardless, no matter to see Jesus, to see the kingdom of God, to be born again, there must always be an element of faith. Always. You're never just going to look at it, compute, you know, put it together and be like, yep, makes sense. I believe now, right? I mean, you can have some of that, but no matter what, you still have to take a step of faith. Um, and so I know lots of believers and people on that path and journey have, have you know, taken that step. But seldom do they ask this question, why? Right? Why, why even start all this? And so we covered that in the first two lessons. And that was kind of the foundation. Because you, if you understand the reason why God created us, right? It wasn't an accident. It wasn't some experiment. Right? He wasn't just trying things. He had a purpose and a design, you know, perfect fellowship, perfect communion, a natural byproduct and expression of love is a child and you want that child to experience. So we covered all that in the first two, three days. So we know why. Why did God go through the trouble of giving us free will? Why did God go through the trouble of giving us uh, the tree of knowledge of good and evil? Why did God go through the trouble of, of you know, creating this people, you know, sending this message? creating these rules, these commandments, only ultimately to then have to come down, God incarnate, God in the flesh, Emmanuel, God with us, to then die on the cross for us so that we, He can you know, receive us all back. None of this was an accident. None of this was unintentional. God knew the moment they created us because they loved us, the moment they gave us free will, this plan was already in motion. And so we covered all that. That's, that's comforting. Even thousands of years later, it's comforting to know that for the first man, for the first family, for the first few generations, all the way up until now, where we are today, God has a plan and a purpose. Then after God uh, um, makes provision for Adam and Eve and sends them out of the Garden of Eden, then from that point, the second point is, the whole of the scriptures is a narrative is signposts, milestones, code language, you know, signs that ultimately point to Jesus, the covenants, the Noahic covenant, uh, the Abrahamic covenant. These are all blueprints connecting the dots so that we would know what the narrative, the whole, the Bible, the narrative is a story, is a narrative of a father who lost his family, who loves his children and would do anything he can to get them back. That's the whole of the narrative of the Gospels. And God paid, the fa our Father paid the ultimate price, gave up His only Son, 
God came in the flesh on the cross. And now it's for us to believe and to receive. And so we're here kind of summarizing. You know, we're not obviously not all of you are going to return. Uh, we don't have VMP next week. But the following week, we continue every Wednesday early morning prayer. And we have a bit of a different format. It's more personal, more interactive. And so I highly encourage you guys to continue coming out. We'll continue teaching the scriptures. We'll continue praying. It's going to be awesome. Okay, so I want to wrap up this morning just with that quick summary. Um, starting off yesterday where we left off chapter 14 going into 15. Uh, Abraham and Lot separate, right? Up until that point, Abraham was walking in partial obedience, which I said is disobedience. So Abraham's waiting for God, you promised, but God is waiting for Abraham to you know, follow through. Okay, finally, that instruction where God said, leave your family, which was the last sort of a, a, a component for Abram's complete obedience. Once Lot and Abram separate, then God shows up again after however many years, after, after silence, after wilderness, after not knowing. And then God says, now raise your eyes up and look. And so he says and gives his promise that you're going to be blessed. Okay? Then we get to chapter 14. I, I, we don't have time to get into it this morning, but maybe I can talk about it next week or the week after. Uh, then there's a king of Salem, Melchizedek. Uh, all these interesting, fascinating ties historically, uh, 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 prophetically, symbolically to Jesus, the Messiah. Some really fascinating terms um, we won't cover today. Uh, uh, you know, uh, theo Theophany, Christophany, things like that. If you're interested, we'll cover it in two weeks from now. Um, and then Abraham gives a tithe, gives a tenth. So before the Mosaic law, before God even ordained it, you know, in writing in scriptures, Abraham was already practicing giving. So was Cain and Abel. They were already, you know, no one called it tithes. It was just natural. It's a response. When, when somebody that loves you, blesses you, you want to share in that blessing together. It, it's, it's so not ritual. It's so not, you know, rule. It, it's, it's, it's relationship. It's organic, right? Anything that you have that is good, you'll love. As, you know, you know, if you know that God is your abundant provision and you know there's more of where that came from, you can't help but to share. There's such delight in sharing. But if you think this is it, you think there's a limit, you think God is limited, oh, you're going to have a hard time sharing. That, that, that's basic. That's just, that's just how the mind works. So if you believe that God is your ultimate provision, there's no end to His blessings and provision in any regard, even, even if materially, the natural response, the way we're made naturally is that we want to bless. And, and I, we're, we're in a body of communities from the beginning, from the very start of, of the founding of it, where everything is based on giving. I mean, people, this, we wouldn't be here. I wouldn't be here if people didn't have a giving heart. And, and, you know, this church was sowed on people who contributed and gave selflessly time, energy, resources. Um, and so I just want you to know that that's, that's just a natural part. You were, you were made like that. It's actually the, the opposite, the opposition to hoard and to keep. Anyways, I said I wasn't getting into it. So I'll get into it next week. Okay, I don't. I have a whole teaching on tithing, um, but not today. Okay, I mentioned briefly yesterday about salvation, right? So many people have asked this question. Okay, we teach today that you can't be saved unless you believe in Jesus, right? We we say that all the time. Only by faith in Christ Jesus for our redemption for the work of the Lord. Well, what about people before Jesus? How how were they saved? Did everyone before Jesus go to hell? Right. That, that's a that's a fair enough question. Okay. Um, verse 6 is the key to that answer, okay, in chapter 15. Um, so, so Abraham basically is unsure, you know, I don't have any kids. God, how do I know for sure? 
Um, if you have, listen, listen very carefully, okay? Because some of you are still gonna miss this. And, and people have probably said it in the past and you still missed it. But let me say it again. If you have a loving, genuine pursuit of God, like you love Him, He comes first. And you genuinely put Him first above all. There's no question about that. There's no question about that in your heart. You can ask God questions. You can ask God for confirmation. You can say, God, I, I think you're saying this, but I'm not sure. Can you give me confirmation? It works because there's a relationship. There's trust. You genuinely want to know. You're, you're, you genuinely desire to know what the will of God is. You're just not sure what it is. But once you know what it is, you're going to do it. God will give you confirmation. God will say, oh, you need clarity. Let me give you clarity. That's different from not having a relationship with God or being in opposition to God or using God for, for certain things or not knowing God and say, yeah, I don't really believe you, God. You know, so... You know, if you want me to do this, you better prove yourself. You, you, the onus is on you. You show me. And until then, I'm not doing anything. That's not a relationship. That, that's, I mean, that's a type of relationship, but it's a one-way street. And that doesn't require any faith, right? And so that's why the Pharisees, Jesus said, no miracles, no signs will be done for you. Because the Pharisees' attitude is like, we don't believe you. If you're real, then prove yourself. God's like, yeah, no thanks. You know, I don't, I don't operate in a realm where there's no faith. That's different from, from Gideon. I believe in you from believers. I believe in you from Abram. I love you. I, I mean, I'm all in. I'm, I'm, I'm going to follow you to the ends of the earth. But I'm not sure. Are you saying this or are you saying this? You can ask God for confirmation. You can ask God for a sign. If the intent is to ultimately obey and bring glory to Him. Does that make sense? But if the sign is anything removed of just self-self, then yeah, then forget it. So Abraham is asking God, how will I know? I believe you, but you know, it's been so long and I'm so old and I don't have any kids. Um, then the word of the Lord, verse 4, came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars. If indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Verse 6. Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. Abram believed the Lord believed the Lord, believed what God said, believed what God said would happen, and God, what, what's the word? Credited, credited to Abraham, what? Righteousness, covering. In the same way, when we believe in God's words, when we believe that Jesus Christ, even though we haven't seen him, even though we weren't there, died for our sins, and that by His covering of His blood shed for us, we are what? Atoned. Credited. What? Righteousness. That means when God sees us, He sees us through the lens of His Son, His blood, the sacrifice, we are perfect in His eyes, flawless, without sin, even though we make mistakes, even though we are sinners. But we're covered. We're atoned for. We're redeemed. But both cases, whether Abraham in the Old Testament whether today our faith in Jesus and His ultimate complete work on the cross requires faith. Faith. Belief. That's the transaction. When we believe in the gospel, God credits us righteousness and covering. We're able to come into the kingdom of God. And I, you know, I wish I had more time to 
nailed this in, but I'll, I'll do it over weeks to come. But, man, you really have to believe that heaven and eternal bliss in paradise is not, listen, is not just waiting for you one day when you die. That, to me, is a crippling, like, dehabilitating, half-baked, like, you're not fully out of the womb, you're not even breathing real oxygen, you're not, it's not sustainable. And so then, if, if that's our belief, then it's like, we'll just get by and do the things that this world requires us to with a little bit of grace when I need it kind of a thing. I want you to know that if you believe and have faith that the kingdom of God can invade your life, your eyes, your thinking in such a way that you can now begin to experience the kingdom of God and the presence of God lived out in your life, right? Broken relationship, the insanity, the, the emotions, the, the depression, all that, God can lift all that by His healing, by His provision, by His lens. We can begin to walk in the fullness of God's presence and God's kingdom. An atmosphere, we can tap into the atmosphere of heaven, the principles, the, the rule of heaven, the value systems of heaven, and abide in them here now, and we would see our very worlds transformed and how we perceive things. And, and our spirit, and our mental, emotional, you know, all that well-being, it's here and not yet. Um, and so, again, another, another truth that we have to unpack. Um, I just want to wrap up on just kind of focusing a little bit on the Abrahamic covenant. Um, and so, uh, uh, you know, so then God says, okay, I'll cut a deal with you. Remember we talked about the covenant, the deal, the contract, you know, cutting of animals, two parties. It was culturally a part of their practice and so God is just using something that Abraham understood and using it with his perspective and lens and so the uh, two people are supposed to walk through okay I'll read it for you uh, the, the account as the sun was setting Abraham fell into a deep sleep and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him then the Lord said to him know for certain that for 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country that not their own and that they will be enslaved and mistreated there but i will punish the nation they serve as slaves afterward they will come out with a great possession you however will go to the ancestors in peace and be buried at a good old age in the fourth generation your descendants will come back here for the sin of the amorites has not yet reached its full measure when the sun has had when the sun had set at darkness had fallen a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the two pieces, the cut up, the contract. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said to your descendants, I give you this land from the Wadi of Egypt to the great river to the Euphrates, land, Camanites, and so on and so forth. So God cuts a deal, makes a covenant and promise. Uh, the smoldering uh, 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 torch, the, the ends that were burnt, symbolizes that God, that Abraham fell asleep that God himself walked through that contract and, and basically became the sole bearer liability. That if this contract is breached by either party, obviously God's going to keep his promise. But, but God took on the liability of man's part of the deal upon himself. And so that, what that meant was when man, obviously, you know, I mean, none of us in our right mind would make this deal. None of us looking at Noah, looking at, Adam and Eve looking at it, it would be like, yeah, I, you know, I'm not going to sign that contract. Like it's, it's like guaranteed they're going to they're going to breach that contract. 
right? Uh, would you make that contract? Absolutely not. But God would. Because God has a plan. Because you're his sons and daughters. And God will go to the ultimate lengths of ensuring that we are brought back into the family, okay? Um, the Abrahamic covenant, you know, after the Noahic covenant, that points to Jesus. This also points to the coming of Christ. Obviously, Jesus would be the one who fully fulfills that debt and pays that price with blood. It's a blood contract. Jesus pays it with his blood. Uh, the Abrahamic covenant is a basic covenant for all salvation. Let me just breathe through this real quick. Uh, it's the first time in scriptures where, uh, uh, you know, it's referred to, God is referred to as Adonai, Jehovah. It has some references that link to this idea of a covenant-making God. Uh, it's the first time you hear words, the terms believe and righteousness, right? Uh, uh, it develops into the theology of justification by faith, you know, sanctification, you know, all these, all these terms that we use in the church. Um, they first appear here in this covenant, okay? Uh, God gives Abraham assurance, makes a contract. Old Testament salvation, Old Testament salvation, right? Same as today, New Testament, it still requires faith in God's words, faith in God's provision. Our faith is centered on the cross. But even Old Testament, their faith in God still pointed to the cross. Um, how are we saved? How do you have eternal life? How do you have On the basis, on faith alone, the Abraham, Abraham, because he believed in God, listen, because he believed in God, was made positionally right before God. We were off the mark. We were out of, you know, a, a, a relationship. But because Abraham believed, God credited to him as faith. God credited to him as righteousness. The seeds of the gospel we preach today were planted here. Righteousness, belief, faith. In God's word. All these things that point to the cross, right? So even in the Old Testament, before Jesus, and for all of us today, post-crucifixion, everything points to the cross. Before Jesus, everything pointed to him. After Jesus, everything points back towards him. In the Old Testament, people were saved by believing in God who would send his son. So in the Old Testament, you have to believe that God had a plan and a provision ultimately to bring his son. That points to the cross. So everyone before Jesus had to believe God that he would send a Messiah and that was for their salvation. Post-resurrection, for all of us, we look back at the cross. Th those in the Old Testament had to look forward to the cross. Those after the resur resurrection have to look back and believe that Jesus Christ paid the full price. And so in both, for all time, everything hinges on this truth. One looks forward to the cross, the other looks back to the cross. And the covenants and the Old Testament, it's all a blueprint. There, the whole of the Old Testament is symbol after symbol after symbol after covenant. There's all this language. There's all these practices that are all like, like building blocks, right? Like one building block wouldn't give you all the information, but it's still valuable. Cornerstone, boom. Okay, another building block, boom. Okay, that, that you know, uh, uh, sacrificing blood. Okay, that's one brick. 
Okay, uh, uh, the temple, you know, where we have worship. Okay, that's one brick. Okay, uh, circumcision of the heart, sensitivity towards God. Okay, that's one brick. Okay, uh, marriage practices, dietary, you know, language, clean and unclean. Well, what, 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 who cares, clean, unclean? Well, don't worry, one day you'll, 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 you'll make sense of it. But for now, just trust me. Okay, God says clean, unclean, we, we trust Him. So don't touch anything that's unclean. You know, eat foods that are clean. Okay, and so language, practices, Throughout the whole of one chosen people, one chosen ethnos, one cho chosen language, culture, value systems, you know, uh, 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 you know, uh, um, practices, a code of law, all these things. Through a people, God is like tattooing his signposts that ultimately will point to Jesus. Through history, through languages, through different cultures, through, you know, through a people, God is pointing through this people of Israel ultimately to Jesus. And so if you were a Jew and God gave you revelation and you looked at the cross and you heard phrases like the Lamb of God, you know, the, the sacrifice on the altar, the temple torn down in three, you know, raised up again. I mean, for the Jews that believed, for the disciples, when they saw that, it was like, like, oh my God, like, every, like in that moment, every, like Tetris, you know, when you, uh, this is terrible, I'm comparing the gospel and the message to a game. You know, you build up your Tetris and da -da -da, you, you wait, you're waiting for that one link, you know, that one long block and it comes in and boom, you get all those points. Have you guys played Tetris before? Is, yeah. Right? It's just, it's just one of those building, 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 system, system, organization, language, culture, boom, boom, boom. And then Jesus comes, that, that centerpiece, boom. Everything makes sense. To think that your whole life and culture and practices was all symbolic that pointed towards this message. And so now, now because of thousands of years of history, because of thousands of years of practice and tradition, now, for us, it's easy to look, you know, within a month's time and read the scriptures for the first time and make the connections. Okay, Jesus, Old Testament, okay, the temple, uh, uh, the Lamb of God, sacrifice, uh, uh, ceremonial, clean, unclean, okay, dietary, you know, don't touch blood, you know, all these things. For them to see that it was the ultimate fulfillment and revelation for our salvation. Like, they knew that this was God. Everything pointed to Him. I want to wrap up this morning and, and this series in the last three weeks and our time together. I want to have Yvain uh, uh, come on up and, and uh, as we prepare our hearts. And it all went back. It all went back. Everything went back. Listen, everything you need to know about the heart of God, everything you know, need to know about the heart of God, God's heart, God's character, God's intentions, was laid out within the first 15 chapters of the Bible. And you can use the rest to fortify, to reinforce. I mean, you could take the first 15 at face value and God says, do you trust me? And you could sit there and you could be like, yeah, there's a lot of good signs and symbols. And then we look at the cross and then there's no doubt, there's no doubt that our Father loves us. And then we look through the lens of the cross back at all these things, and we realize, we realize, we come to this revelation that God has loved us all along. That God, not for once 
in his eternal existence has ceased to love you. That God made you, formed you, and fashioned you, and knew the very places where we would reject him. And he already made provision so that you could say, my gosh, my father still loves me. My father has always loved me. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. Within the first three chapters, God makes this promise. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. This is the promise that God would send his son from the very beginning of origin, so that you and I would know today that he is our father that we are his children. That is the first center of identity that we must operate out of. You are not a doctor, you are not a banker, you are not a Singaporean, you are not a Korean, you are not you know, a father. First and foremost, you are the child of the Most High. God has an eternal purpose set for you, we must respond. We must remember. We must continue to praise. We must, no matter what happens this year, start the morning off, God is good. And no matter what happens in that day before you go to bed, even in tears, God, the cross says you are good. The word of God says you are good. I believe in you. Holy Spirit, resurrection power, come alive in me. To you, this year I dedicate, the rest of this year, every day from this day, I dedicate to you, God, you are worthy. Doesn't matter where I am six months from now, doesn't matter where I am, December 31st on New Year's you know, uh, Eve, God, you are good. God, you are good, you have proven it. I give you all the praise and give you all the glory. Okay, let's rise and let's respond in worship and thanksgiving.